Hello and welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Jason. I'm Keith. And I'm Steve. I am experimental prototype robot K1. My eventual purpose is to replace the human being in a variety of difficult and dangerous tasks. Today we're talking about the iconic K1 giant robot from Tom Baker's first Doctor Who story to celebrate the release of the action figure as a B&M Bargains exclusive. For me, this is probably the figure I've been most excited for, I think because it's, uh, it's a great looking toy, it's a fantastic villain from the series, uh, and also because I wasn't able to collect the various figures in 2008 to gather the various body parts to construct the Build-A-Figure version from that year. Uh, but I know for, for Jason and Keith, you've been waiting even longer for a, a, a K1 robot figure. Baker, or the Gareth Hunters I would assume to think he was, <laughs> at the police box, and I had the canine. I had um, a Princess Leah dolly, which was stood in for Romana, and I had pallet toy Daleks. I never got the Cyberman, and I never got the giant robot. And people have always said that the uh, giant robot was the best of the bunch. It was like the most accurate and probably the, uh, the most best designed of the whole because like we had Cybermen with nose and uh, Leela with like cosmic space hair and stuff but uh, the, the robot actually came out quite well yeah and wasn't the Dennis Fisher Dalek didn't it have a red top and it had like the rest of it was silver with the, the blue uh, Dalek baubles so it wasn't like anything that had appeared in the, the series at all based on one of Terry Nations yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, similar to uh, you, Keith, uh, I had I had the Gary Fon, Tom Baker doll. Um, I had the the cardboard TARDIS, which was basically the Mego Star Trek transporter, but in a TARDIS shell. I never understood that why you put the Tom Baker doll in, press the buttons on the top, and then the Tom Baker doll disappeared. And he's like, well. The TARDIS disappeared. As a kid, it was like, well, that's the wrong way round. Um, Mine broke uh, very early on, didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, I had the Cyberman, and then I had the talking canine and the talking Daleks from uh, Palatoy. But yeah, I asked for the giant robot several times, and um, it was one of those things that I never got. I probably got, like, you know, some Star Wars figures instead, you know, uh, at Christmas and birthdays. And uh, I don't think I ever saw it on the shelf anywhere either. Um, I don't recall seeing it in, like, one of the toy shops when, you know, you saw the other, like, Doctor Who stuff. Um, so it was, like, a great, like, you know, excitement when, um, in 2008, Character Options um, announced that they were doing the giant robot as a, a builder figure um, set. Yeah, it's it's a real classic design. It just looks so good. I can see why Palatoy chose it to do it. Oh, sorry, Dennis Fisher told us to do it as a part of their range. Um, I, like, so where, how long do you think... I know it's a long time ago and time's very different when you're young, but how long do you think these toys were available for? Were they out for a couple of years or a, a year? Or, or I mean, like, was there a long period of time which you could get them or were they just like gone, like the B&M ones, gone within the next month? Um, Nine was around for a while, but I think the others disappeared yeah. really quickly. I mean, Leela left the series more or less as it came out. And let's say the, 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 the robot itself never featured again. So I think they kept the, um, I'm sure they kept the uh, K9 around. The rest of them seemed to vanish very quickly. I remember there was a big fuss made about the talking K9 and the talking 
Daleks, but obviously they they were made by bizarrely by Palatine, not by Dennis Fisher. Um, but I do remember seeing. I always judge it from like the memories because you always used to get like um, both my grands were part of a catalogue, you know. And I think everyone remembers of that era where you know you used to get the autumn winter catalogue, and then you, as a kid, you go straight to the toy section. And you'd open it, and then it's a case of like, well, what's new this year, and what can you like, you know, put on your list for for Christmas? And I do remember a couple of years running, there was like a small Doctor Who section. It obviously wasn't as big as like the Star Wars uh, toys or Action Man, which was probably the other the other big um, toy of the late seventies. Um, but yeah, I don't recall seeing the Dennis Fisher or the Palatoy um, Doctor Who ranges probably beyond probably 1980 onwards but obviously you know by then you had a, a new Doctor coming in a new production team and Peter Davison and obviously you know Dennis Fisher I think had kind of gone by the way because they were owned by the same company overall that owned Palatoy and I think the success of um, the Star Wars range and the fact that all their successive brands like the Action Man, Star Wars, uh, and, and quite a few of the other stuff were, were all under the Palatoy thing. So I think the Dennis Fisher um, brand was quietly like closed down in the early eighties, which might be a reason why the Doctor Who range didn't continue. And were they say the same scale then? The the talking Dalek and K nine were they to scale with the Doctor and the TARDIS and Leela? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, rem- I remember um, the talking so daughter, weren't they? Yeah, the talking canine from Palatoy was a damn sight bigger because it had to include the recording mechanism, which in those days, obviously, because we didn't have like you know um, the technology that we've got with you know microchips and all that kind of thing, and, and um, it was like a little radio um, record that you played, <laughs> um, and you could flip the disc. And then close the compartment, and then it would say other things. <laughs> so the K9 from Palatoy was actually quite big compared to the Tom Baker fourth Doctor doll. And then obviously, I've, I'm, I mean, I've seen it since, like on stalls at um, conventions and stuff. But the Dennis Fisher giant robot is actually quite big. It's it's it towers way above the the Tom Baker doll, which used like the Mego eight inch scale. Um, so they were about eight inches, I think, um, as a figure. But the, the Dennis Fisher one is, is, is quite substantial. It's quite big. Mm. I, I happen to have a uh, Palatoy K9 to hand, oh, which I'm wow. waving in the, uh, this belongs to Simon Hart, who, uh, who adores K9. And it's, uh, um, he's actually got, I, I don't know, like there was an eBay incident and he has a, bo- a box with about five or six of these in various conditions. <laughs> um, none, of the, none of them work because it's got a little... Um, it's got yeah, little that's the compartment. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little compartment underneath. I'm not even going to open it. I don't dare open it because I don't want to break anything. Uh, but as you press the button on his back, his little uh, control panel and his tail wags. Um, I think his ears might waggle. Um, I don't know if his eye lights up, but he definitely then says the key canine phrases. Um, and just for scale comparison, he is um, just ever so slightly shorter <laughs> than the giant robot from uh, character options. 
So as, as a pretty whopping canine, but he's, he's gorgeous as well. Just let's point that out. Well, that brings back loads of memories. That just seeing that on the on the screen there. That's amazing. I had the Dennis Fisher canine. That was it was that was to scale with the Tom Baker though. That was quite good. But yeah, it yeah. speak, and it lost its ears and its tail very quickly. I had a maimed canine. <laughs> <laughs> so for for Steve and Jason, you you had the two thousand and eight Builder Figure K one robot. How does it compare to the 2022 uh, figure that comes in the pack with Tom Baker? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of slight differences, and I covered this in my me, uh, me YouTube video review. Um, there's a more accurate um, colour to the head and the stripes on the B&M version. It's more that pinky purple. Whereas character options went with a kind of like a red colour for the uh, 2008 version, and the uh, there's one kind of like button at the back which has been swapped round, which apparently is more accurate to the, the the screen prop, and the neck is uh, a more accurate colour because that's one of the only parts of the the costume itself that wasn't actually silver plated and it's more like a plasticky kind of grayer gray color um and then there's a darker mesh on one of the underneath the main face of the giant robot where apparently the actor michael kilgareth uh, could see out of so they've done a darker mesh there uh, which in some parts of the story it's a lighter mesh and some parts of the story it's a darker mesh so um, character options obviously just you know tweaking it slightly and improving it in some areas but um, it is a bit wobbly this version <laughs> yeah it's quite sort of loose hipped isn't it it's got uh, it's uh, when you stand it up you've got to sort of like choose which which way the 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 top half of the torso is going to lean, uh, and then and then try and balance him. But that, and that's uh, that's different to the original. You were saying, yeah, yeah. Because like the original, um, you've got you've got a couple of choices with your giant robot um, <laughs> when you're putting it together. So firstly, I mean the top part's all fairly easy. That's straightforward. So you've got the arms, the head, and the chest. But the bottom part, you've got right. So when you get to the uh, the pants. Let's call them more the waist. Um, we, I was never quite sure because, like, on one side the waist has got a little dip on it. On the other side, it's perfectly straight. And you know, there's not really very many instructions. I was never really sure which way round it goes, whether you have the dip at the front or the back. Um, but in the new character options one, it's very clear because they've uh, actually put some writing on his bottom. Uh, <laughs> he's got he's got a CO Limited UKCA Proxy AS. Uh, logo on his backside uh, which I have no idea what that is probably toy safety regulations or something um, and the other thing you can do with him is if you've got difficulty standing up in one particular way you can turn the legs around and turn the feet around to match and then they sort of fold out sideways rather than backwards and forwards um, which I've done on a couple of photos just to make the uh, little guy stand up a bit more easily because um, sometimes you want to have his legs uh, going out sideways. Sometimes you want to have him walking sort of backwards and forwards. Um, and I've just about managed him to balance him in, in both uh, in both directions. But um, yeah, it's quite useful to know that you can uh, you can twist him like that. And 
the new series one is definitely the joints are all a lot looser. It's a lot more. He's he's a bit more difficult to pose. They do stay steady. I don't think if you put the gun in his hand, it tends to sort of droop or drop slightly because um, the gun's a bit of extra weight. Uh, I don't know if you found that, Jason. Yeah, and you can kind of like prop him up a bit with the gun just touching the the surface that he's, he's resting on. So yeah. <laughs> I've got that at the moment. But yeah, um, it's interesting you point about the the dip at the waist because. When I constructed the first one in 2008, I got it the wrong way round. <laughs> the thing is, because this is like, it was a, a builder figure and they snap into place, it's an absolute bugger to unsnap it. And I was so frightened of like breaking it when once I realised the mistake that I just kind of like kept it as the, the straight bit at the front instead of the back. And luckily there's no writing on that version. <laughs> Yeah, I have actually... Dis- okay, so firstly, it was Simon who brought all the figures originally, um, so I might be in trouble for this, but I, ha- I did actually dismantle the giant robot after it was put together, and I was able to get it back together again without any serious issues. Oh, right. Because um, I wanted to do a photo with sort of like the robot broken up in the sand, and sort of like, it's sort of inspired by uh, is it the Iron Giant or uh, the Ted Hughes story. Yeah, yeah, the Brad Bird um, cartoon version, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah, where he sort of smashed up on the beach. I wanted to do something similar to that with the giant robot, so I did I did take it, and that was nerve-wracking. I said, I'm only doing this once. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you just try and, like, pry it apart with a bit of force, or did you use, like, uh, I know a lot of um, uh, toy customers and stuff, like, they use the boil and pop, method don't they where they put the the figure in like boiling water to loosen it up a bit so it's easier to like take things apart and stuff did you use that method i used hot water i didn't use boiling i wouldn't risk boiling water because you might damage the paint so so just like hot as you can get from the tap i think is about as far as you want to go and then then you give him a bath and then he put his arms off. <laughs> um, and but because he was covered in sand as well, he had to have another bath afterwards. So there's lots of baths for a giant robot on that day. Yeah, I'm, this is my first giant robot, so I, I'm just absolutely delighted with the figures, uh, loose hips and all. Um, it just looks absolutely fantastic on the shelf. Um, it's just such a such a fantastic design, isn't it? It's just so cool and retro and uh yeah it just really it really stands out i've got quite a few figures uh, along the front of my shelves with kind of books and things on now and it just stands out so much it's uh it's mm-hmm. awesome it says a lot about obviously like you say it's an iconic design and obviously jim Aitchison, who, who did the design also gave us the iconic fourth doctor look as well didn't he is um, you know, and he was responsible for quite a few um, other uh, iconic designs. He designed the Zygons. Um, uh, he designed um, Omega for the Three Doctors. That's another one that he did the costume designs on. Uh, and it also, he gave us the Time Lord um, costumes in the Deadly Assassin as well, uh, before um, then becoming a very successful Oscar-winning um, costume designer. And then uh, he went on to design the costumes for Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi films. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think he's still with us as well, isn't he? So. He is, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if he's still, like, you know, um, designing for films, but it certainly 
um, you know, he's, he's done very well for himself as a career. That's an amazing CV, isn't it? How about you, Keith? This is your, your first giant robot. Are you happy with it? It is. As I said, I had little bits I'd gathered from the previously, but uh, I did stand it next to my uh, Dennis Fisher uh, doctor just so I could uh, finish that little bit of my childhood. <laughs> Sadly, uh, the Tom Baker is slightly taller than he is, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's all a matter of perspective. I could stand him behind it, but uh, yes, it was uh, quite pleasing. Now. And it is a beautiful thing as well. I mean, the, uh, the actual... The costume itself is amazing. The toy itself is uh, it's beautifully done. I mean, looking at it now, the effort they put into these things is amazing. Mm. I, I can see it on your camera there. It's just really catching the light and uh, and uh, glowing beautifully <laughs> behind you. Um, it's a camp pose, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> camp poses are the thing, the thing it does its best at. It's very good at the camp poses, waving its arms about... Um, <laughs> And its legs. I, I, there is one. I, I am slightly. There is one disappointment with the re-release, apart from being a little bit wobbly, um, which is only because when they did the Silver Nemesis Cybermen, there was a big thing about how they got a really chromy paint finish, um, and I'd have liked to have seen that on the giant robot. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you want as a Doctor Who fan, you want the moon on a stick, obviously, but um, <laughs> it'd be nice to just see it like with that level of uh, chromy paint on it. But um, I, that might have been difficult to do. I don't know. You mentioned Tom Baker's costume being designed by James Aitchison as well. Uh, so the other figure that comes in this pack is the season twelve Tom Baker. Uh, which is uh, which is another really cool figure and different from any of the fourth Doctor figures we've had before. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, I think Definitely. the coat's lighter, isn't it? And the the, the uh, tie is better painted. Yeah, I mean the figure itself. I mean the first figure that came out in 2008, for, which was the season 12 um, fourth Doctor. I didn't think there was much wrong with that at all. Uh, but it's only when you get to see this version that you realise that his jacket was actually a, quite a lighter red. And obviously they've put a paint um, application to the tie and they've done um, a nice speckled effect on his trousers, which is more accurate to the trousers you know, that he wore. And um, yeah, I, it's just all right. It's, it's, it's a better uh, figure, I think. For it's, it, it, Again, it's improving on what we've already had. Considering these are meant to be budget releases, it's quite impressive that the the work they're putting into them is probably as a par with the original release, and if not better. Mm. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I would have paid twenty pounds for a, a, another, you know, giant robot on its own. The fact that you're getting like an, another brand new painted, you know, um, fourth Doctor figure as well is is just like you know that's even more of a bonus. Yeah, and I'll say it time and time again, the Doctor Who figures are, compared to every other toy range, Doctor Who figures are very cheap, and we mm. shouldn't complain. Yeah, especially when Hasbro have just raised the prices of the Star Wars and Marvel figures again. Oh, Ooh. really? So how, how much is your average uh, Star Wars uh, trooper going for now? Uh, the Black Series, which is the six-inch uh, range, uh, which is the main range that I collect, um, they've gone up from 19.99 for a standard figure um, up to, um, depending on what the figure has with it, 21.99 or 23.99. And then the deluxe figures, which are supposed to be the figures that come with like lots of different extras, 
which in the case of the one of the last ones that I got was the Boba Fett, which really didn't come with that much extra on him. Um, I've gone up from twenty nine ninety nine to thirty three ninety nine now. So yeah, it's yeah. Um, considering you can get like you know what you can get with the Doctor Who range of being a. And even the ones, the character options exclusives uh, that they do, um, like through the website, you know, that don't go to B&M. That, mm-hmm. You know, three figures for twenty nine ninety nine. you know, again, just puts the bigger toy companies to shame. No, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're really looking to, to, to get these. And uh, as I understand it, the, the Warriors of the Deep set has sold really well. So hopefully that, that bodes well for more exclusive releases as well. Yeah, looking forward to it. I mean, I, yeah, we've, we've all got wish lists of uh, what we'd like to see, but uh, maybe that's for another time. Holding <laughs> out for a Vervoid. <laughs> I think you might be holding out. That might not be at the top of the list. I don't know. <laughs> Would they do a Vervoid? Would they dare? <laughs> Well, I, we recently did a podcast about the pirate planet, and I was thinking the pirate captain would make a cracking figure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. God, you'd snap him up. Abatron as well. Yeah. I know. I, 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 I just want them to get around to the the Stones of Blood box set with um, Vivian Fay, Amelia Rumford, <laughs> and Mary Tam in the hat, and that that would do me. Um, no, no monsters or aliens, just uh, cranky old women. <laughs> <laughs> An ogre oh, would I'm be quite. A couple of light up ogre. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Some LED lights in, like you know, a couple of stones. That'll that'll do me. They have a pre-silver Vivian Fay and a silver Vivian Fay, so they can use the uh, figure twice. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's got potential. After oh. all, you are an enemy of the human race. I must destroy you. Please do not resist. I do not wish to cause you unnecessary pain. So I think my the first time I would have come across the uh, the giant robot was the the Target book, um, which, uh, which you guys can see, but the, the listeners at home can't. It's the 1975 mm-hmm. cover where you've got the uh, the robot um, being fired upon by uh, fighter jets, and you've got the close up of, uh, of poor Sarah Jane in the robots uh, clamp like hand and it's just just such an amazing it's one of the covers that really really stuck with me from reading it when i was a kid it's so kind of exciting dynamic and uh, i I think i'm right saying it's the only cover that has tom baker's face in the o of who which i really really love and i wish they'd uh, i wish they'd stuck with that i think there's something uh uh something quite kind of comic book about it isn't it it's uh it's uh, it's really cool and uh, it made me um think about because uh, it's Terence Dix how he described the robot in the book um, and uh, I think it's a, as excellent as you as you think it would be Sarah studied it in awe and fascination it was huge well over eight feet tall in shape it resembled a grotesque man colossal legs mighty trunk and long arms which terminated in massive hands the enormous head was equally appalling Red eyes burnt in its eye sockets, a metal grill served as its mouth. More lights flickered in the great domed forehead as it stood, massive and motionless, gleaming dully in the fluorescent lighting. Sarah could see that it was made of a shining silvery metal with a smooth bluish tinge. Just sounds absolutely fantastic, I think, like the uh, the, the eyes burning and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, 
just a fantastic description in, in just a few sentences. Rather tragically, I can actually remember it being broadcast at the time. And I can remember that cliffhanger really clearly when the robot comes out and minutes it's there. Because I remember thinking at the time, my uh, grandfather and two aunts lived in this hideous block of flats. And the, um, the entrance to this uh, block of flats looked exactly like the laboratory where the uh, robot emerged. And I remember thinking it was quite, a, well, probably a three or four year old and I kind of expected to see this thing looming out when I went to visit them the following Saturday so but uh, I remember that cliffhanger really clearly and uh, it's funny how little bits of who are like remaining blazoned on your memory and that that certainly did even that was must be quite tiny at the time because I was born in 71 so it was maybe about three then or four or something so but uh, I remember that really clearly and uh, still think it was sort of like I'd be menacing my relatives when I went to visit them yeah, because the first episode was broadcast at the very end of 1974, wasn't it? And then uh, the other three were were early 1975. Yeah, well, that's amazing. I mean, to have because uh, like obviously people grew up with different periods of Doctor Who, but to have in your early childhood the giant robot as one of the things you're terrified of, that's a bit special because that is particularly terrifying. Particularly how just how enormous and it does seem unstoppable, doesn't it? Uh, from a certain but well, I don't know, when you're young, it seems kind of unstoppable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so, a small child, they could sort of tell, like, rubber monsters, but it wasn't, it was sort of metal, and it, it could have been real, it's sort of like, it had, like, uh, weight to it, and height, and uh, it didn't look like it was sort of like, uh, bend in the middle if you pushed it and stuff, it, it looked quite impressive, and still does. I mean, it must have been a sod to wear, because I mean, I think it's actually made of aluminium strips or something, wasn't it, so... At, uh, was it Malcolm, Malcolm, uh, Michael Kilgareth earned his um, mm. equity minimum that week? Yeah, and it's his voice as well, isn't it, that, that performs it? And it's such a great booming voice. It's obviously been electronically treated as well, but it's uh, it's, it's a great booming voice that comes out of it. Mm. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's a great voice. It's ever so slightly camp. <laughs> but it is a great voice um, yeah, when he's talking about because I, I, he kind of falls in love with Sarah, doesn't he? And that all gets a bit bit strange. But um, but it's it's really it's really fantastic. It's such a great story. Sarah um, boxes dying noises when they're um, doing behind the sofa, doesn't she? She's like she mimics his uh, death throes. <laughs> yeah. Um. I first I saw it live broadcast. Uh, in Mallorca on Super Channel while whilst on holiday, um, so it was quite exciting to because like um, it was in the early nineties and Doctor Who was Doctor Who was a bit rare, you know. I don't think Robot had come out on VHS yet, um, and it just like downstairs after dinner, it was just like it was just on the telly. Started with part two, so I missed part one, um, and then it was like appointment viewing for the next three evenings. And then we had to go. Um, and obviously, I missed what was on before that, but it was it, it was fantastic. Uh, it was so exciting to see an early Tom Baker, particularly. I don't think I realised it was his first story at the time, but but just to see that uh, glimpse that on Super Channel, um, <laughs> a rare treat for a Doctor Who fan. What about you, Jason? Um, I remember Super Channel because um, my dad at the time uh, owned a pub, and he was one of obviously you know he used to get it for sports and stuff and I remember once seeing an episode of Revenge of the Cybermen 
um, being broadcast, and it was like, wow, you know, I need to come here every night, <laughs> but obviously not being allowed to. <laughs> um, but um, I think I first saw the story probably on its VHS release, which I think was about 91. Mm. Um, so I don't, I'm, I'm slightly um, younger than Keith, but I don't have any memories of the, the story on transmission, but... Um, I remember obviously watching it and had a lovely um, Alistair Pearson cover uh, for the VHS um, case because uh, he used to do like some lovely artwork for the, the, the videos uh, back then. And, and yeah, at the time, I, was, I, I think I was a little bit disappointed with it because obviously having read the Target novelization and then realised, well, there's no fighter jets, there's just an action man tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perhaps we would have had uh, action man fighter jets like on strings, like going right <laughs> <laughs> at one point. But <laughs> yes, slightly disappointing. And I do find, like, upon reflection, I think we discussed this when they, we did the first Blu ray collection box set, Mark, that it, it's kind of like separate from the rest of season 12 because it does have a lot of those Pertwee hangovers, you know, and it doesn't really feel like a first, uh, fourth Doctor story. Um, and, and you don't really feel as if the fourth Doctor era kicks in until like you know the next story, the Ark in Space. But again, you know, you know, you can put it on and it's an enjoyable romp, and you can see what Terence Dix was going for. You know, the King Kong homage. Um, you know, the obviously, you know, they said, "Oh, can you do a robot story?" And it does touch upon some of the aspects of robotics, but obviously, obviously, Philip Hinchcliffe probably wasn't satisfied with that, and probably then said. Let's do a proper robot story, and then we ended up with the robots of death in, in season fourteen, didn't we? Yeah, so it touches a bit on iRobot, don't you? Like you say, like the um, the, the principles of robotics. It's that uh, you know, not not to harm humans and things, and that, that's where the conflict comes from. Yeah, yeah it's that thing from the the Pertwee, isn't it? That um, ah, yeah, was it? Uh, Robert Holmes said to Terence Dix, you, you know, when you once you're Earthbound, you've only got mad scientists and alien invasion stories, so. Uh, it falls falls into the the mad science uh, category there, doesn't it? Which is uh, kind of a hallmark of the Pertwee era. Certainly, well, and his mad hair, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's I, one of the I, things. I don't, we... I don't think that there, there isn't a madder scientist than Gettlewell. Yeah. He is the the creme de la creme <laughs> mad scientists. I think this might be something we talked about when we talked about the Blu-ray as well, Jason. I think um, it never occurred to me that the, the, the K in K1 stands for Kettlewell because I don't think it's actually said anywhere, is it? That, uh, no, it never occurred to me that that was a revelation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's odd. Okay, all right. So t- totally stupid tangent. But it's, it's odd that it's K1, which implies that it's his first effort at making a robot. So he's done really well because it can walk, it can talk. He's and that's his first one. Imagine what the K two would have been like. Incredible. <laughs> Unless he's working the alphabet, and that's his like. A one. more likely. Twenty six. Oh no, that's not working. Start B one. B to twenty six. K, and then he was like success. <laughs> that's a lot more convincing. Because Doctor Who hadn't done that much with robots before this. You'd had kind of um, like quarks and chumblies and things who were just kind of robotic uh, sidekicks or henchmen, but they they hadn't really explored, yeah, robots and, and uh, robotics in the same way, had they? Which is a bit of an oversight, I suppose, for a science fiction series that had been going 12 years at that point. All machines. 
Oh yeah, it's a war machine. I suppose you had war, war machine. I want to do a war machine. I love those. <laughs> yeah, war machine. Yeah, uh, I've forgotten about it. yeah, war tan. I suppose, I suppose there's a common miscomprehension, isn't there? That you know, the Daleks and the Cybermen are, are robots. You know, to the general public, they don't sometimes always make that connection that there's a living organism, organism, organism even inside them. Yeah. Hmm. But I think you, you're right, Mark, because it is. Robot is a proper exploration. It's not just a robot as a killer machine or a, a robot, a computer that's gone wrong like Wotan. It's it's a proper exploration of what a robot can do and how it can be used uh, to help humanity or harm it uh, in in the sort of like hyperbole kind of way. Um, and, and it is it it, it it means that it re- it results in a robot that actually has a character um, because you know you can see that he wants to be. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you can't say he wants to be anything because he's a robot, but he is programmed to be to do good things and to help humanity. Uh, but he ends up working for Think Tank and how they sort of twist that around, which is really interesting. Um, and that is that is a sort of like a, an aspect of robotics that I haven't really uh, explored before. I mean, the aspect of robotics they explored before was them walking down a street with the army firing at them and knocking over crates and stuff, which uh, which is great. And he gets a go at that as well. But uh, yeah, <laughs> gets slightly more character this one, I think. And and for a one-off appearance as well, he he casts a long shadow, both literally and metaphorically. And, and it, it, it did appear in a lot of things because around this time you got the Weetabix cards, like we say about the the Dennis Fisher model. Um, there's the uh, the jigsaw that uh, that just looks awesome, where you've got three K ones or K one, two, and three maybe uh, <laughs> kind of striding into battle. So <clears throat> so and, and and the target cover and things like that. Um, he's almost got a life a bit separate from the TV story where he, he's just this really cool looking iconic robot as well it is a striking image on that jigsaw isn't it yeah so that I don't have I do have the Zygon one but I don't have the giant robot one no it's not something uh, I've ever seen in, in real life um, you know even at even at uh, you know any uh, dealers rooms or anything like that yeah, it's the most desirable one of the lot, isn't it? Because it's uh, it, it's it fires your imagination. You know, it's like, what is this planet with these robots on it? Um, who are they fighting? Uh, there's all kinds of intriguing stuff about it, and uh, how on earth can they relate it back to the Doctor Who story? Yeah, <laughs> uh, be, being a key one as well. Where else have we seen the giant robot? Well, this is it. Although it's a it's a one off robot or villain that was entirely destroyed, uh, the spin off media have found ways to uh, to resurrect uh, the, uh, the the robot. Uh, one of them being the big finish Benny Summerfield story, the relics of Jegsau, which, according to the complete history, is a reference to the jigsaw. Uh, which was the uh, the inspiration for it? So we were we were talking about this in a in a chat, and um, because we'd just been talking about the jigsaw, and Keith mentioned the relics of jigsaw, I was saying, "Oh, is that is that what it means?" Which is a jigsaw, and then uh, yeah, that's confirmed in the complete history that it's that image which I've never tweaked that at all. which inspired the story. Revelations. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't think I'd have spotted it if we hadn't just been talking about jigsaws. Um, but yeah, this this is a great story. I listened to this for the first time this week, and they've got Michael Kilgariff back 
as the voice of the of the robot and it's uh, I mean it's a much darker story than yeah, the robot. It's isn't incredibly it? grim. I was thought it was gonna be some light and frothy thing based on a jigsaw, and it isn't, it's genuinely <laughs> horrible, especially at the end. Like characters go around like blood pouring out of the face, and you think, Oh my god. So <laughs> Yeah, it's um it it's not the, the kind of romp that the cover suggests and that the appearance mm. of the K one would suggest, is it? There's a really nice bit in it when when Benny first sees the robot. Um, and she says, oh, it's, it's really chunky, isn't it? You could fit a man in there. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the little girl goes, it's not hollow. It's full of, it's full of circuits and wires and things like that. And it reminded me on The Simpsons when uh, they go to, is it Itchy and Scratchy Land or something? And it's this sort of Westworld-like um, theme park. And uh, they, one of the heads gets cut off or something. And, and Marge says to Homer, see all those wires and stuff? <laughs> That's why your robot never worked. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's great to hear him again um, in a in a new adventure like that. I think. Yeah, I mean, um, thanks Keith for sending it um, and listen to it. It was heaps. I was quite surprised. I hadn't listened to any of the uh, Benny adventures previously. Uh, I tend to keep to the main, like the Doctor ranges when it comes to uh, Big Finish. But yeah, I was quite surprised about like, like how grim and graphic it got at some points. You know, like you know when they're going on when the, the that revelation spoilers about you know the 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 survivors not turning out to be you know the survivors that they've actually died and then you know the the mimics and there's something about the, they put the skin over the the giant robot had constructed this version this replica and then put the skin over it it's kind of like implied and it's like that's pretty pretty graphic even even if that turned up in a doctor who story that would be like a bit like oh wow quite hard to imagine doing that in really intricate robotics with his little pincers though isn't it it's like <laughs> not quite sure it would achieve that <laughs> but it's on skinny yeah. mode yeah. one of the things about the bernie summerfield adventures is that although uh, they tend to pose as being quite light and fun and frothy. You, you, you can never forget that they, they came out of the new adventures, uh, Doctor Who novels from the 90s, which were unremittingly grim at times. Um, so they, they've got that kind of inheritance, haven't they, that they tend to go, they can go to the very dark places that uh, Doctor Who doesn't. Uh, and I can't recall, I can't remember if I've heard Relics of Jigsaw. I may have done, because I've listened to a lot of the Bennies, but I'm sure I'd have remembered that, because that sounds like the kind of thing that would stick with you. So I probably haven't heard that one. They were going to do a phaser using classic monsters, whether it was just like to boost the cells or not, or they thought it was a good idea or not. But uh, they had like that, they had the monoids, they had all sorts of um, things. And they, they seemed to find the, uh, the grim aspect to a lot of them. It's into cool. the Cyberman one where they're literally like using the insides of babies for Cybermats. I mean, it's it's really... Wow, that is great. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, I'll definitely have to check those out. But now I'm thinking, maybe <laughs> I won't check those out. No, I think, I think I'll give them a listen. I'll, I'll see if I've got them on the Big Finish download or the Big Finish app and, uh, and pick them up because they said... Uh, um, yeah, the Bernie Summerfields are winners and particularly the ones before they started Doctor Who and they were adapting the novels are all brilliant. There we go. Strangely doctorless, but consider how little the Doctor featured in a lot of the new adventures. It was probably wasn't that hard to adapt for it. Yeah, yeah. 
No, it's it's a great story, and um, you do you get the the robot growing to giant proportions again, which uh, which is what you what you hope in these stories. So it's uh, it absorbs some energy and <laughs> becomes huge. So I was pleased about that 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 happened by the end of the story as well. And they do make it, although there's a bit of fun with it about how retro it is to begin with, um, and she says about his walk and everything. They they do a good job of making it properly menacing as well, um, uh, despite you know so you say that the voice is a little bit camp and everything, but they uh, they they do, yeah. He is he's quite villainous in it. Well, I think that's partially down to again to Michael Kilgariff, who you know he's he's actually yeah. I mean, I think I don't think he ever appeared in the series not wearing a mask or not in a costume. Um, well, yeah, you know, he played the cyber controller, didn't he, in the Tomb of the Cybermen mm. and Attack of the Cybermen. And um, obviously he does a great job, you know, in Robot. And it was great hearing him again in, in this audio. But, yeah, he's, he's able to, you know, in Robot he gives the K1 robot like a kind of like a pathos, you know. Um, so you do feel sorry for him. But then in this one, he's able to, like, turn it around where you actually feel, like, quite, you know, scared and threatened by, by you know, the character. So, you know, that's the signs of a good actor that, he, you know, he can, like, rather than just read the lines, he can look for a different way of playing it. And he could have, like, yeah, gone ultra camp and ultra over the top. But I, I don't think all that he did in this. I, I thought it was really, really good to hear him again. That's superb. Yeah, because he brings a lot. I mean, he brings that quality. You know, he's got. He, he's he's a he's a really good actor. He's also very very tall and was able to manipulate that costume. So you know, he's got all that kind of stuff going for him. Yeah, it's uh, underrated, quite probably. Mm. Yeah, it must have been pretty uncomfortable and uh, and hard work. There's. Uh, I was looking at the um, uh, the vault, the, the the Doctor Who book, and uh, there's a really cool picture in there of rehearsals where so they didn't put the full costume on, so he's got the top half uh, and then human legs sticking out the bottom um, <laughs> while he's uh, rehearsing with Tom Baker, and that's uh, that, that's a that's a cool image. I think there's another image as well of a, I don't know whether the costume was quite finished at the time, but again, it's another rehearsal one, and it's the top and the shoulders aren't finished and they're actually like um, like it's just the shell of them and they're covered with tinfoil instead of the actual final version uh, so it's kind of like the, the the head is there but then the shoulders are just like this tinfoil version of the shoulders rather than the actual aluminium version I think that's what we could have got yeah <laughs> and of course the uh, the costume itself still exists uh, which is fantastic um, that it was uh, up until the closure of the Doctor experience. It was uh, it was proudly on display uh, alongside uh, Zygon in in a sort of Tom Baker diorama. There wasn't it. Another James Hutchinson. <laughs> yeah, next to uh, wasn't it next to. Uh, uh Links the Sontaran as well. Another one yeah. of his. <laughs> yeah. That's another James Hitchison one as well, isn't it? <laughs> so did you, did, did, did you all get down to see the giant robot? Did you uh, manage to get to the exhibition or not? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, yeah, I was lucky enough to see it. Because um, this is after it had been restored. I think I'd seen it in Blackpool. Um, when, not the, not like the, 
proper Blackpool exhibition that everyone remembers from the childhoods that I, I didn't I never went to. But when before the Doctor Experience was in place. Uh, when they used to do those sort of roving exp- uh, exhibitions that would uh, that would sort of move around the country, um, uh, I saw it in various places of Glasgow and Newcastle. And then when it was in Blackpool, they uh, they had mainly new series stuff, but they had like one room of, of classic series stuff, and they had the uh, the giant robot in there, which and it still looked incredible. It still looked amazing and imposing and and everything. But then, yeah, it got got some restoration work, I think, by Mike Tucker, and then put in the Doctor Experience, and it just looked pristine and shining and uh, and absolutely amazing. So yeah, I was uh, I was pleased to get a, a photo in front of that one. I've got early memories of. I mean, every summer um, when I was a lad back in the late seventies, um, whenever we went to Blackpool as a family, you know. Um, or even like when it was the illuminations time, I always like used to pester my family to like, can we go to the Doctor Who exhibition? Can we go to the Doctor Who exhibition? And I do remember seeing it there. Um, but then I think for the majority of the 80s, um, I think it was moved down to Longleat and it was at the Longleat um, version. Because I seem to remember it at Longleat. Yeah, so I'm glad yeah. you- and I never got to go down to Longleat because Longleat's quite quite a distance from obviously uh, Manchester. But yeah, I then saw it in the revamped uh, Doctor Who museum or whatever they were calling it when they they brought it back to Blackpool. And then was lucky enough to then see it a good couple of times at the uh, Doctor Who experience in Cardiff, where like you say, it, instead of it looking a little bit sorry for itself and kind of like not not displayed properly and a bit like you know kind of like sagging in the corner uh, which it was i think at the, the the second version of the blackpool exhibition um it was fully restored and proper like you know in a great imposing you know um corner uh, of the experience and it looked absolutely amazing yeah. Oh, I just I just remembered um, they must have brought it down to London at some point because it was in the Museum of the Moving Image when they had the big Doctor Who display there for Momi. And I think Tom Baker walks past it in his intro to Sharda, but I can't remember <laughs> for certain um, when he's talking about all the monsters he's defeated. Yeah. Um, yes, he does, because um, I've just rewatched the uh, Sharda for the um, upcoming season, season 17 box set review. Uh, yeah, and he, he goes past it. Giant robot, beat you, cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as well. That's another appearance that sort of kept it in the uh, in the popular imagination as well, isn't it? Yeah, uh, no, I'd, I'd have definitely seen it at Momi and probably at the Doctor Who experience in because we went to the Cardiff one as well. So yeah, so seen it both times. Uh, I remember the Cardiff. I probably took photos of the Cardiff one. I'll have to have a look. Um, yeah, but it's, it, yeah, it, it is great to see in the flesh as well. It is it's so beautiful and silver and shiny. I'm sure even when it's looking tatty, it's still pretty impressive. With the the new exhibition opening in uh, Liverpool uh, in May, uh, I don't think we know exactly what's uh, what's going to be on display yet. But hopefully they'll uh, they'll give him a polish and uh, and uh, put him on display there as well. Yeah. Right. They've, already, they've had the TARDIS in that foyer of the Liverpool Museum for, I think, about a year now. I think it must have been postponed due to, like, COVID um, because I went to Liverpool um, just for a day out. Um, I think we went 
in November and saw the, the TARDIS in the foyer and it had the signs of the exhibition. I was like, oh, great, oh, something else to like, look, you know, what floor is that on? Because it didn't have a date at all or the thing that it was coming, it kind of like seemed to imply that it was there. So, um, yeah, I'll be making a trip over to Liverpool um, when that opens just to see what it's like and if they've got like some of the old props there as well. Because they must be somewhere in storage in a BBC warehouse now that obviously the um, experience closed down several years ago. Yeah, is it the is it the same Liverpool museum that features prominently in a recent episode in Flux at the start <laughs> of the uh, Flux series? That's the Liverpool History of Liverpool Museum, which is actually near the Liver Building. The yeah. Natural History Liverpool Museum is actually right next to the building that um, is Gotham City Police Hall in the new Batman film. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to go to Gotham City, right next door to it is the Natural History Museum of Liverpool. So you can go in there and see a TARDIS. That's great. There's a lot of um, a lot of interest for Liverpool for uh, for kind of geeks this uh, this year, then, isn't there? You can go and visit uh, Batman locations, and then uh, you can take a tour of the Williamson Tunnels, can't you? You've got the uh, the Albert Docks where they film some scenes as well. I think I worked out that that is um, that's now the nearest uh, filming location that I could visit from where I live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's overtaking Sheffield. That's the, uh, the nearest one. Yeah, because Eve of the Daleks, although it's set in Manchester, they actually didn't film it anywhere near Ma- Manchester. So, because I was yeah. like going, where's that warehouse there? <laughs> I, don't, I don't, don't call that. But apparently it was filmed um, further down south. They just said it was like set in Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit of a shame after getting genuine Sheffield and genuine Liverpool. Manchester gets represented, but it's not Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, given Russell T. Davis lives in Manchester, you never know for the for when he takes over, he might set an episode here. Please do. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> Just keep moving further north. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> they'll get you eventually, Mark. <laughs> 2030, they'll yeah. be up in Carlisle filming. Yeah. It'll happen. <laughs> There's a there's a, a Zygon book that's set in the Lake District. Uh, is it Sting of the Zygons? I think it's uh, that's about the closest we've got so far. You will be safe. See how I deal with our enemies. And we can't not mention your T-shirt, Steve, uh, which is oh. uh, absolutely brilliant. K1 giant yes. robot T-shirt. Giant, got a giant robot T-shirt. It says "Experimental Prototype Robot K1," and it's got uh, the robot and um, and some sort of blueprints behind it. Um, I'll just stand up so the guys can see. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's cool, and it's got the kind of the the idea of it that it's growing as well, isn't it? The sort of the outlines, which um, a lot of the artwork give you that as well. The um, I remember the VHS cover. You have got the mm. robot, and then sort of um, the idea that it's growing as well. Then. Scaling it up, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's never I, well, okay. I, I, I'm gonna go off on my tangent now and just talk about the giant robot is one of my favorite toys to photograph because uh, I do my toy photography on Instagram. 
Uh, and it's always a, a delight to get it out and and get it into get into a bit of a pose or have it with the Sarah Jane. And I just it, it always shines up really well. And you just take a photo, get a bit of light behind it, get a bit of a you know a bit of coloured light on it, and it always looks fantastic. Um, so it's it's a real real pleasure to get out of the packet and and because it's got so much character as well you can have it doing funny things you can have it doing slightly ridiculous situations i've got a couple lined up for this week uh which i'm looking forward to revealing um and particularly with the new tom as well so you can have it recreate that bit where he's chasing tom around the warehouse which i've been trying to do um i haven't worked out a way to get the scarf stretched between two pillars like he does but i'm (laughs) i'm sure i'll get there uh, there's one other bit of fan art I want to mention, uh, which I saw the other week. Uh, obviously, by the marvellous Lee Binding, who uh, envisaged a world ravaged by the giant robot uh, in a battle against uh, Christopher Eccleston's Doctor and Rose. Yeah. Uh, so you've got this sort of, like, shot of Christopher Eccleston at the front and Rose looking all terrified and the giant robot behind them with a the smashed city. And uh, it's just wonderful. And, um, yeah, I was so impressed by that. That was just really good. Um, so he's he, he, definitely a character that sort of inspires a lot. Um, and we just want to see more of him, really, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, like, cameoed in various annuals and stuff. I was, like, found some pictures yesterday. It was, like, a couple of Doctor Who stories when they needed a robot that basically nicked the giant robot design for it. And he even appears in a Sapphire and Steel annual story, bizarrely, called Rogue Robot. So, obviously <laughs> <laughs> on the zeitgeist, when they wanted a robot, that was the one to do. It just goes to show, it, it must be the archetypal robot. Uh, but yes, but speaking of the robot meeting the ninth Doctor, um, the the other sort of spin-off adventure is a story called Robo Rampage from Titan <laughs> Comics. And this is the 12th Doctor and Osgood having an adventure with the K2 robot. Um, and it, this, I mean, it's a very, very slight story, this one, um, especially compared to the relics of, of Jegsau. Uh, Osgood phones the 12th Doctor uh, to say, we've got a, we've got a, a big problem, uh, which is the, uh, the K2 giant robot marching down the street. And uh, you say he, he looks great uh, in your toy photograph steve you know he looks great he looks brilliant in comic strip form as well that is uh, the major selling point of that one is is how cool he looks uh sort of rampaging through modern day london and grabbing hold of the london eye and <laughs> and, and, and kind of uh, pulling it off its uh, its moorings so uh, yeah that's uh, that's a cool story where we learn that uh, that unit kept hold of the uh, the technology of the living metal and uh, carried on experimenting with it Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to pick the one up because that sounds like that sounds right up my street. I do quite like the those comics where they like they just go for the fan service. Um, they don't really care. They just bring back all the old monsters, and it's yeah. it's, it's tremendous fun. Yeah, it reminds me, and I should have mentioned this earlier. Um, there was another glorious bit of art recently uh, that Scott Gray put together of the giant robot fighting King Kong yes. uh, in in an exploding city. And that's just that's just marvellous. He's absolutely brilliant, and it's available as a print, so I'll put a link in the show notes to that. If you could get, I, I don't, I don't know how much the Dennis Fisher giant robots are going for on eBay, but um, I mean, would you want to get one now? Would it compare to the uh, character options version, given that it's completely inaccurate? 
or would you? I mean, yeah, would you? Would you? The character options, giant robot, or the Dennis Fisher giant robot? Which would you choose, uh, Jason? Oh, I'm happy with my character options, giant robots, plural. Um, but I think if it was cheaper, and I have seen it go for something daft like three hundred plus on some like uh, vintage toy stalls when I've been to like you know conventions or, or comic cons or fairs um, if it was cheaper um, I, I think I would pick one up just to satisfy that part of my little childhood you know that <laughs> didn't quite get it but then um, occasionally I do look on eBay to see if there's any like you know cheap you know Doctor Who stuff from you know back in the day um going um and every so often you get a talking dalek or a talking canine and usually it's like all the things are like not working doesn't work inside's rusted um but then you know you stick a bid down and then it just goes ridiculous and you think oh, i can't justify paying that for it but yeah if if i get one for a good price i'd, I'd probably uh take the plunge really? keith have you got a score have you got a score there for the giant row of giant robot how much is he there are two available on eBay. There is one going for £199.99p plus £8.95 postage. And there's another one with a box going for £595 with £950 postage. Ouch. So I think I shall probably be sticking with my character. <laughs> I'll stick with character options on the basis that I don't have any of the rest of the Dennis Fisher range. <laughs> How about you, Steve? You look out, place. Um, I uh, yeah, I I'd be very intrigued by the Dennis Fisher one. I because I, I know it's different and I know it's a bit wrong. Whereas the character options goes for accurately accuracy, but the Dennis Fisher one I think is kind of cute. So you know, I'd I you, you, you want to go want to go for the the proper version, but I'm I'm slightly you know I'm looking sideways like uh, like in that meme, looking at the Dennis Fisher one, going oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's it's out of my it's like is out of my price range realistically <laughs> way out of my price range so I think that's true for all of us yeah and these these toys um, we were speaking just before as well uh, seem to be selling really quickly I, I saw them once in in a store in Carlisle uh, it was when I grabbed one for me and one for Keith and then the next Thank time you. I went in they'd all gone. And I haven't seen them. Haven't seen them since. So they uh, they are the Dennis Fisher ones of the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I should also mention uh, that uh, my uh, new giant robot is courtesy of uh, Mister Shep, who found me one at B and M after I I put a complaining post on uh, on Instagram saying that once again I'm in a B and M car park in tears because I can't <laughs> believe I'm spending hours of my life. <laughs> going around looking for these wretched toys um, and, and I got a sympathy vote so that was much appreciated uh, and I'm sure I'll be doing it again the next time some toys come out they uh, they become quite sort of difficult to get hold of um, we didn't get any of the last wave the five doctors Earthshock um, kind of Hartnell Tardis ones in Carlisle at all like we've got four branches up here and, and we just we just never saw any of those ones so uh, to eBay in the end yeah, it's well. That's ironic because I've done quite well with uh, the recent waves. The only thing that I've not seen hiding the hair of uh, in the ones that I've gone to 
around me and like say there's about four or five stores that you know that virtually like near each other uh was the Hartnell TARDIS didn't see hiding the hair of that one um but my um one that's just down the road from me um still has a lot of the the sensorites the keys of marinus the five doctors and the uh earth shot ones and they've reduced them all to 12.99 now so you know, so I think the ones that do still have stock have, you know, are slowly like clearing them out. Uh, and I did notice that Character Options website has got some of um, the previous um, B&M exclusives now on there for about thirteen ninety nine. Um, so you know, hopefully, if stores don't sell all their stock and they return it to Character Options, then you know there might be a chance of getting them on there but I didn't see any of the Planet of the Daleks um, this time around you know the ones with the open top mm. um, head where you can see the mutant inside none of those uh, near me so sometimes I think it is pot luck isn't it yeah I, I, I mean, we've still got lots of Sensorites and Mariner sets uh, in the branches here that have been reduced and just tons of those uh, bobble Daleks that uh, I can't believe they haven't been reduced yet because they're clearly not shifting and that's loads and they keep bringing out like new sets of them uh, and it doesn't seem like anybody's buying them around here anyway that's that's actually that that is what drives me over the edge when I'm looking for Doctor Who toys and I go there and I think oh they've got some in there's some Doctor Who toys <laughs> and it's the bubble darling that's that's where I, I break down because it's, it's like an insult it's like two fingers up at the uh, well I say serious collector it's two fingers up at me personally <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, got like strange cartoony 10th Doctor and 11th Doctor uh, vinyl figures. I don't know if any of your stores have got those. I, I, I did pick one of those, uh, one each of those up. I do, I do quite like those. Um, the, the, the Tenant one is, is slightly better than the, the, the Smith one. Uh, just the sort of skin texture is very shiny on the Matt Smith one. Yeah, it looks um, a bit too plasticky, doesn't it? Yeah, but I quite like the, the sort of... Um, I do feel like the stances um, do capture the character a bit. Yeah. Good. I thought they were hideous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm quite, I'm very picky. I'm very judgmental. Um, how, how, do, you, do you do the B&M tours, Keith? Or are you not, uh, not, not that keen on it? Or uh, do you just go straight to eBay? I'm very lucky that Mark tends to look for me, which is very kind of him. So... Uh, I'm reliant on his efforts and his uh, quest for dog uh, treats. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I usually go well in, in pandemic times. I walk the dogs really early in the morning. I'm usually finished at eight o'clock, just as being and bargains is opening. So uh, I usually swing by on the way back. Um, and uh, yeah, they do some some decent dog treats. Actually, quite good quality there. Uh, to a message saying. Still nothing in B&M's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd usually report back to you and say, no. Still nothing. Swing and a miss again. But yeah, then then the odd time we, we do have them. Uh, but I don't think there's even any rumours, is there now? I think the, the last lot of rumours we had were up to the giant robot, which I think was originally slated for December. Um, I think we're... We're out of rumours now, so what might come Yeah, next? I mean, the Warriors of the Deep set um, came out of the blue. Um, there was rumours mm. that character options were going to do another exclusive, but a lot of people were saying it was going to be an electronic um, TARDIS again. And obviously, 
they pulled the rug out with um, the Warriors of the Deep set. But mm. yeah, um, there's been no rumours at all about um, what the next lot of sets are. So it's just a case of like, watch this space. And uh, yeah. Alistair Dewar, who's head of the range for character, you know, just keep an eye on like when he pops up on a video, you know, with his little prototypes going, these will hit up stores soon. Okay, um, completely unverified source. Um, and and this may not be true at all, but somebody said to me the other day that they were going to do a set from a set of Daleks from Destiny, one with the one with the bombs and one without, and that was coming up at some point. Um, now that might be in ten years' time, <laughs> but that's that's what someone told me the other day. Um, I I, have, I I cannot know. I, I there's there's, there's there, I. Yeah, I can't even say if that's true or not, but it might be, but it might not be. We've got yeah, well, they're working through the Dalek stories, so you can kind of like second guess those, because yeah. we're up to the next lot would be Death to the Daleks, so we'll get the silver and black ones, won't we, probably, in the next history yeah. of the set. Maybe, maybe and Death and Genesis. Genesis if, then Destiny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all, the three-figure set saw even like a, another big figure set or TARDIS set not heard anything at all at the moment I suppose the only TARDIS sets we haven't had yet would be the 6th and 7th Doctors I'm right in plus the 8th Doctor as well yeah that's true there was uh, some difficulty with those 6th Doctor I think I, someone told me that they don't do the 6th Doctor because his uh, jacket is too hot to, it's too complicated to paint so it'd be too expensive to get him out uh, and obviously, with the Eighth Doctor, you'd have to do a whole new TARDIS, wouldn't you? Because it's not the same shape at all as the traditional TARDIS. I don't know. I mean, the Jodie Whittaker one's not the same shape, but they use the same shell for that. Um, but I, I don't. I don't know. I, the, I, I'd want a nice Eighth Doctor TARDIS that was faithful to the movie. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That that would be nice, but difficult. I'm just hoping when they get to Remembrance that we get a special weapons Dalek in the in that history of the Dalek set because that's a toy that I've always wanted. I'm sure they will because they've obviously got a mold for it. Yeah, yeah. And they know we all want it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, hopefully, as we get to Genesis, we'll hopefully get some uh, re-released uh, Davroses as well. Yeah, yeah, because they came out ages ago and they are uh very very hard to get hold of now again you know you're talking hundreds of pounds so uh it would be really nice to see some davros's back in the market so is that because we got the magician's apprentice davros a year or two back is that is that significantly different from the genesis one i never had that one yeah because that's the new series davros with the new series dalek base right is that's the julian beach version so they did they did two they did the michael wisher version David Goodison, which was effectively just the Michael Wisher version, but with slightly different paint applications. And then they did the Terry Malloy uh, Davros um, for Resurrection, Revelation. And then for Remembrance, they did him in the Emperor Dalek yeah. shell, um, which was a two set for Forbidden uh, Planet, I think, if I remember rightly. And that was um, that is rare as anything that's even rarer I think than the special weapons darling yeah these all came out when uh, I couldn't really afford to buy many figures so uh, I'm really relying on B&M now to, uh, <laughs> to re-release them for me 
as they came out when we kind of assumed it would be there forever in like standard shops as well yeah of course now it's got quite rare so yeah it seems odd now doesn't it like Boots and Debenhams and, and Tesco were selling these figures and Woolworths don't forget Woolworths yeah I'm sure it was uh, the destroyed Cassandra that actually brought Woolworths down <laughs> the mass unsold stock of the destroyed Cassandras resulted in Woolworths collapsing through financial terror and uh, so on and so forth although there is hope because Toys R Us are coming back in the UK they've announced Yay. that they'll be opening some brand new stores and they've heading back to the high street so um i actually got an email from them um i don't know how whether they bought the old customer email list from you know the defunct toys r us um but it was interesting they sent me a survey and it was a case of like what would you like to see at toys r us and a lot of it was collector based as in you know do you want to see more of the collector stuff so i'm hoping um you know when they do get round to opening some stores and if there's one in, in Manchester or the Manchester area that they'll be going down the whole um, kind of like Forbidden Planet route you know where they stock mm-hmm. a bit more of the you know the action figures and the toys aimed at collectors right? you know as well as stocking the stuff for the kids as well you know because that's going to sell anyway um, but I'm hoping they'll have a dedicated proper um, you know like you know the NECA figures Star Wars figures and perhaps we might even get some more Doctor Who exclusives because they did a few um, themselves, didn't they? They did massive box sets with um, like every uh, Doctor in them. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the big 11 Doctor set, wasn't it? That was a Toys R Us exclusive. Like a 13 one later? Like yeah. 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 yeah and were... they also did the Dalek um, Doctor twin sets for the 50th. Yeah, that 11 Doctors set, they were the only figures I had for a long time because I got that for my birthday one year. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a nice set. So, yeah, it seems like it's uh, alive and well and uh, we've all got our wish lists for, for the future. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and the giant robot, uh, the K1 robot, definitely ticks off another one for a lot of people, I think. I think a lot of people are very happy to have received that big bad silver boy. He's a bit of a winner. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's probably my favourite figure so far. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me, gentlemen. I just want to let our listeners know where we can find you and your work elsewhere on the internet. Uh, yeah, so I uh, mentioned about my toy photography, uh, and uh, you can find that on Twitter and Instagram, and it's Steve Alexander Toys, S-T-E-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R Toys. Uh, both of those um, and I've got a normal account as well which is the Alexander UK same kind of thing so yeah that's where you can find me definitely check out the toy photography it's fantastic thank you I'm just 50DW50 on Twitter uh, you can find me on YouTube my uh, toy review channel is called Bearded Geek Toy Reviews uh, where you'll find reviews for the giant robot BM set, as well as the uh, recently released Warriors of the Deep set, and loads of other stuff. Uh, and also on Twitter as Django Max 72. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely recommend uh, your toy channel as well. I always uh, like to tune in, especially the Doctor Who ones on there. I'm on Twitter as at Quark McMalice, and you can follow the podcast at Trap1 underscore and find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com. 
And uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review or a star rating. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Go. Go now. And I will destroy you all.